So Exodus chapter 5, we're starting at verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And then we're a few verses in Luke chapter 9. It's on page 1040. Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. We give thanks to God for these readings. Thanks, Colin. Um, Guys, if you find yourselves cold and need to stand up and do a few exercises while I'm speaking, I, I won't mind. Um, or put your coat back on. Um, it's not, not the autumn anymore. It feels like, feels like winter. Are you redeemed? Well, are you? You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? It's the kind of question that you would have been asked, you could have been asked on a Saturday afternoon if you were going shopping in the center of Belfast by a street preacher or a personal worker, somebody who maybe was going around talking to people about Jesus, they'd ask you the question, are you redeemed? It sounds like a very weird question to us, even, even in church circles nowadays. But back then, when I was a kid, um, it wouldn't have seemed such a weird question. The question wouldn't have seemed quite so weird, but, 
But what's even weirder is that a lot of people down there in Belfast would probably have known roughly what the answer was. They, they would have known what the question meant. They would have known that it had something to do with the Christian gospel, the need for personal salvation, of having your sins forgiven, of getting saved and going to heaven, something like that. If you ask someone in Belfast today, if you did try this, try it next Saturday, next time you're down, ask, just stop somebody, are you redeemed? See how you get on. They'll think you're talking about uh, Tesco points or air miles. It's a word that we use, but not the way we used to. This is what we're going to talk about today, this idea that we are redeemed. We're well into our recommissioned series by now, and we've been coming to God's word to find the answer to, to one simple question, really. The question is always the same, who are we? But we're allowing God's word to give us its beautiful, full answer to that question. So far, we've learned that we are people who know the story that we're a part of, people who care for creation, people who are a blessing to the nations, and then a couple of weeks ago, Stephen helped us to think about what it means to be people who walk in God's ways. So this morning, we're continuing back into that series, and we are going to see that we're people who are redeemed for redemptive living. So I asked you to imagine there a moment ago the Belfast Street preacher of 30 or 40 years ago who approaches people asking them, are you redeemed? I want you to imagine that same person and let's teleport them back to ancient Israel, right? Same guy, same approach. Drop him into the, the middle of the historic people of God. Goes around asking people, are you redeemed? Without skipping a beat, every one of them says yes. But they don't talk about their personal relationship with God they don't talk about a moment in their lives when they pray to pray to prayer, giving their lives to God. No, they don't talk about any of that. They talk about a historical event. They talk about the day, the time when God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, the Exodus. Let's have a look at a couple of passages. Do grab your Bible. One of the passages we'll look at is the, the one we've just read. Chapter 6 there. And then another passage will be in chapter 15. So Exodus 6 will be very quick here. Moses has been to see Pharaoh. He said, Pharaoh, let these people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And actually, now that you've asked, I'm going to make life harder for them. The straw that we used to provide for them to make the bricks uh, in their slave labor, we no longer provide that um, the people can go and source that themselves. It's a bad moment. Look at what God says to reassure his people through Moses. Verse 6. Tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'll free you from being a slave to you. I will redeem you. With an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. There we have it. It's only the second time in the Bible, or the third, I think, that that word's used, but certainly the one that starts to give real meaning to it. God's going to redeem his people. Chapter 15, 
if you jump over there with me for a second. So time has passed. Uh, the peop- Egypt suffered the ten plagues. Moses has led them out of Egypt by the Red Sea. Uh, they've, they've escaped. And God's people celebrate their escape by singing a song. Look at the lyrics, verse 13. In your unfailing love, you have led the people, sorry, you will lead the people you have redeemed. So that's almost all I want you to see. Chapter 6, he promises, I'm going to redeem you. Then chapter 15, the people are celebrating that he has done it and has redeemed them. What is this all about? To answer that question, I want to look at three things for a moment. The Redeemer, the Exodus, and the cross. The Redeemer. First of all, what is a Redeemer? In English, it has a a particular meaning from its Latin roots. To redeem means to buy somebody or something back. In Israel, it always had a a bigger range of meaning, and probably the best way for me to show you the bigger range of meaning is to tell you about a few things that redeemers did. So here are three examples of what a redeemer might do in Israel. He might bring a murderer to justice. So if someone in your family is murdered, the, the redeemer the kinsman redeemer, the member of your family who's going to step into that role will step in to redeem that situation and make sure that justice is done. That's a redeemer. A redeemer might help a family member out of uh, debt or slavery. So if I fall on hard times and if I sell Claire and the kids into slavery, the redeemer is some other member of the family who comes along and says, you know, Christoph, that's less than ideal. Let's buy them back, okay? So that's another way in which the Redeemer might act. The Redeemer might, actually, might also come to act and, and keep a, a brother's family name alive. So if, if a, a man died in Jewish culture without leaving a son, there was a, a, a provision that... Uh, another brother in the family, some other male relative, would take the widow, his wife, would take the wife into his own family and have a son by her. And that way, the, the son, his name um, and his, his property would be inherited and his name would be continued. If you think of the story of Ruth and Boaz, Boaz acts as a kinsman redeemer. He uh, redeems that situation of widowhood in that family. So think about those things for a second, right? If these are the kinds of things that redeemers do, or a redeemer does, when God chooses to call himself a redeemer, what's he saying? I think he's saying, I'm as committed to you as the most committed person would be to their family. Whatever goes wrong in your life, I will stand by you and I'll fix it. Our God is a God who's prepared to do whatever it takes and to pay whatever it costs to protect and defend and liberate his people. 
Our God is a redeemer. He is the champion who does whatever it takes. What does this redemption look like in, in real life? Well, that brings us to our second focus, the Exodus. When you read the story of the book of uh, the story of the Exodus, sorry, in the book of Exodus, we see that God's people are enslaved in, in four, at least four different ways. God rescues them from at least four different dimensions of their slavery. First of all, they're in political bondage. They're, they're immigrants, an ethnic minority in a large imperial state. While I was writing this sermon this week, I got another one of those horrific reminders of the lengths that people will go to to reposition themselves in the world, to get away from one regime, to live under another, they'll get into refrigerated lorries so desperate are they to change their position in life. When God acted, he confronted oppressive political powers to set his people free. He operated, his redemption operated on a political stage. Probably the sharpest pain of the people's oppression was economic. Uh, they were ex being exploited as slave labor in a land that they didn't own for the economic benefit of the host nation. For God to redeem these people economically, he needed not just to get them out from under a political regime, but he needed to give them a land of their own and property somewhere that they could prosper. And that's what he did. He took them out of Egypt and into the promised land. The Exodus has a strong economic dimension. Don't miss the, the social dimension of Israel's enslave, enslavement. Uh, you might remember this. Uh, at, at one point, the Egyptians made plans to kill the, the sons born to Hebrew families. We're talking about state genocide here. We're talking about destroying families and denying the ultimate human right, the right to life itself. So whenever God redeems his people, he will need to redeem these social dimensions He'll create a culture in which every human being has dignity and where none are denied their rights. And actually, if you read the law of Israel, uh, given in, later on in the book of Exodus, you'll see that that's its very purpose, to give each person dignity and their rights. There's a fourth dimension, a spiritual dimension, to the bondage that God's people experienced in Egypt. And it's interesting that the Hebrew word a, a boda is used to describe, it's used to describe the slavery of the people in Egypt under Pharaoh, but also their worship of the God of Israel. Same word for both. So the problem isn't just that the Hebrews were slaves. The problem is that they were slaves of the wrong master. They needed to come under a different master. So God redeems his people from their, their, ser their service to Pharaoh, not, not so that they become nobodies. He redeems them 
from the tyrannical rule of Pharaoh so can, they can live under his love and mercy and grace. Israel's bondage, we've looked at it very quickly, four dimensions, political, economic, social, and spiritual. The lovely thing is that our redeeming God, when he acted, he acted to free his people from all the dimensions of their slavery. He's a God who frees his people from whatever enslaves them. So we've talked about the, the Redeemer and the Exodus. It's all very interesting, but it all feels very remote. What's this got to do with us? What's this got to do with people who follow Jesus Christ in 2019? Well, that's why I want to talk for a few moments about the cross. When the New Testament writers talked about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, they wanted us to think of it as a second exodus. We see that in the passage that we read uh, this morning. Flick again with me, just for a second. Look, chapter 9, page 1040. Luke is telling us in this passage of a time when, when Jesus has gone up onto a mountain to pray. His appearance changes. Moses and Elijah appear with him, we're told. And, and you see the three of them together and they're talking and you wonder, what are they talking about? Well, Luke tells us, verse 31, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now, this might be one of the most disappointing translations in the whole of the Bible. Not, not, because, it's bad, not because it's actually wrong, but because it's so small. That word departure, what are they talking about? Have you packed your bag for Jerusalem, Jesus? Have you checked out of the B&B &B yet? No. The word, the Greek word translated there as departure, if we pop it up on the screen, even in the Greek, you'll probably be able to read it. It's the exodus they're talking about. Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus about the exodus he's about to make. Everything that we've been saying so far about Moses and Egypt, Jesus comes to do that. Jesus is the redeemer. He's the one who does whatever it takes and who pays whatever price needs to be paid to free us from every dimension of our slavery, spiritual and otherwise. In language I've used here before, stolen from that very profound piece of work, Titanic by James Cameron. He saves us in all the ways that we need to be saved. We are people who've been redeemed. Folks, Actually, our full title for this morning is that we're people who've been redeemed for redemptive living. I want to spend the last few minutes thinking about what difference our redemption should make to how we live. Just two things about that. Redeemed people celebrate and they imitate. 
They celebrate and they imitate. We already noticed this celebration aspect in Exodus 15. What do Moses and the people do as soon as they get out of the country? As soon as they get across the sea, they down everything and they have a party and they sing. I, I love that. Tell me this, when's the last time you sang your salvation? About five minutes, well, 15 minutes ago, because that's what we do here. Do you ever take a moment to thank the Lord for saving you? Does that impulse, when you're out and about, when you're living your life, does that impulse ever well up in you? One of the dangers, folks, for those of us who have known Jesus for years and for decades, is that we lose our sense of joy, that we're redeemed. There's a brilliant line, I read Pilgrim's Progress for the first time this year, and there's a beautiful line in the second half of that book. Some of you might know it. It's written, well, there are two parts that you can read. One tells the story of Christian on his way to the celestial city, and the second part tells the story of his wife making a later journey. His wife's name's Christiana. And there's a lovely scene where Christiana meets Mercy, and she helps her fall in love with their salvation. That's something we could do for each other. Help each other find joy in our salvation. Are you in love with your own salvation? Does it ever make you smile? Do you find yourself just celebrating it? I think it's a lovely thing, actually, to watch somebody else do it. It's one of the things I think that God uses to, to stir our hearts and to warm us up and move us. I wonder if that's why Stormzy's song, Blinded by Your Grace, was such a big thing in British culture these last few years. Did you see it at Glastonbury this summer? It seemed like the whole nation came to church with him for five minutes as he sang that song. I'm blinded by your grace. Blinded by your grace. By your grace. Lord, I've been broken. Although I'm not worthy, you fixed me. I'm blinded by your grace. You came and saved me. The reason that song's powerful is because it connects with something that is or could be inside any one of us. A gratitude. A celebration of our redemption. Folks, redeemed people don't just celebrate their redemption, they imitate their redeemer. We become people who love to see people set free. Set free from anything and everything that enslaves them. From their slavery to sin. From the spiritual darkness and the death that they live in. But we don't stop there. We love to see people come out of their addictions. Out of their debt. Out of anything that, that oppresses them and holds them. We love to see generosity reign. 
One thing that struck me again doing this work for this sermon this morning is that I want to be a big gospel person. I have a huge redeemer. He will not tolerate his people being held by anyone or anything, but I want to learn to be like him in that. I don't want to be content to see small parts of people redeemed. I want to see entire people, entire lives, entire communities redeemed. Folks, all of this is only possible because of the work of Jesus on the cross. We're, we're in a big area here. We could have a whole other sermon on this, and it's this, this debate about evangelism or social action, which is more important, how do we do them? Chris Wright really helped me this week as I was reading. He, he, he said everything we do, every redemptive action, whether it's, it's the, the gospel that deals with people's spiritual needs or their social needs, it's all done in the name of the cross. Here's what he says. It's a mistake to think that while our evangelism must be focused on the cross, that our social engagement and other forms of practical mission can have some other theological foundation or justification. What, what he means by that is people sometimes think that whenever we're talking to people about their sins and forgiveness, we talk about the cross, but whenever we do other stuff like run food banks, we do that on some other basis just because we're quite nice people. He says no, and here's why. Why is the cross important across the whole field of our Christian mission? Because in all forms of mission in the name of Christ, we are confronting the powers of evil and the kingdom of Satan with all their dismal effects on human life and wider creation. As a younger guy, I didn't understand that. I thought I could help people. Have you ever tried to help a person who's stuck? almost impossible. Almost impossible to help a person who's truly trapped somewhere. Incredibly difficult because of what Chris Wright calls the dismal effects of sin on human life and wider creation. One last paragraph. He asks us how any Christian can challenge the darkness at work in our world. By what authority do we do so? With what power are we competent to engage the power of evil? On what basis dare we challenge the chains of Satan in word and deed, in people's spiritual, moral, physical, and social lives, only through the power of the cross? Only in the cross is there forgiveness, justification, and cleansing for guilty sinners. Only in the cross stands the power to defeat evil. Only in the cross is there release from the fear of death and its ultimate destruction. Only in the cross are even the most intractable of enemies reconciled. Only in the cross will we finally witness the healing of all creation. We're to imitate our Redeemer, but we're to do it only in his power and in his name.
I want to finish. I was at a Made for More anniversary event uh, on Tuesday evening. And at one point there, Jimmy Meeklem, the, the founder, the guy who uh, runs that ministry, shared a haunting statistic. He said that in the last two years, 600 people have taken their lives in Northern Ireland. And then he shared a soul-destroying government target. Over the next two years, the government would like to see those figures reduced by 10%. Do you see what we're saying? Folks, we live in a culture now where 540 people killing themselves every couple of years is regarded as success. We're in a mess. A bad, bad mess. We need a big big redeemer and we need his big gospel we need a champion who can do whatever it takes and who'll pay whatever it costs folks this world needs Jesus let's pray